The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. The Bible study will be in Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, uh, verses 24 through 30. Uh, it's oftentimes referred to as the, uh, um, the faith of the Syrophoenician woman. Looking at our Bible study tonight, the title is Persistent Faith. Persistent faith, and um, it is the story of this of this woman. The most important woman in my life, my wife Wanda, is a dog lover. Now, over the years, we've had a couple of dogs. Uh, we don't currently have any, although it's a conversation from time to time, until we remind ourselves of the obligation uh, and responsibility of having a, uh, of having dogs. But um, I, if if I were to tell you that we both love dogs equally, that's not the case. She certainly loves dogs a lot more than I do, um, although I'm, I'm happy to take them for walks and talk to them and things like that. As long as they don't talk back, I'm okay. But I, I have a friend who has these two dogs, and they're, they're beautiful. You know, they, they have all the breeding and, you know, they're, you know, all the papers, all the credentials. You ask them, and they can present to you, you know, you know, they're, you know the breed that they are and all of that. And um, they're well-trained dogs, and um, he named one Timex, and the other he named Rolex. I guess you could, you understand they're watchdogs, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for laughing. It makes me feel better. Our story tonight records the faith of a woman. The faith of a woman whose desperation brought her to Jesus. I want you, as we go through the story tonight, to mark her faith, because this faith, it, it, is, it resides in you. You might think tonight, Danny, I don't know if you really realize what you're saying. No, this faith, her faith, resides in you. It just, you just haven't necessarily experienced the circumstance or the situation in which you would see it arise. Faith or trust in Christ overcomes obstacles. That's actually when we know or we see or have evidence of faith in our life is when we experience challenges. And her obstacles, her challenges were many. First, the obvious, she was a woman living in a patriarchal world. Another way we could say that is that she lived at a time when men controlled all things. This meant that she had no voice. I mean, she could speak, but she had no voice or authority. And in some settings, it would have, she would have felt as though she were invisible. In some settings, she would have not even been acknowledged. Second, she was a Gentile. She was viewed as being very far from God, at least to the Jew. Think that very few believed that God would hear or even answer her prayers or her request. In fact, in our story, as you'll see tonight, the disciples, Jesus' apostles, his followers, asked Jesus to send her away. Lastly, this woman was victimized by the devil, by Satan, in that her daughter was under the control of an unclean spirit. On the surface, it appears as though Jesus is not even willing to help her. 
In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, I read from verses 22 in the first part of verse 23, where Matthew tells us, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region, from that area, was, came out and was crying. The idea is that she repeated the, the following words. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Verse 23. But he did not answer her a word. In the face of her coming to him and her faith causing her to to move past each of these obstacles, each of these barriers, Jesus does not initially speak to her. He will, but not initially. Now, it's important for us to know tonight that to some, silence might be cause for retreat. But faith stirred this mother's heart. And this is worth noting. The petition of a mom, the petition of a mother, maybe even a grandmother, is is persistent. Another way to say that is it yields to nothing. It surrenders to no one until God answers. We see this from the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, where Hannah, Samuel's mother, let me read to you from verse 12. Again, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 12, if you're uh, taking notes. And it says, as she continued praying, this is Hannah, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli, that's the high priest, observed her mouth. He watched her from a distance. And Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. This is such a powerful scene. As Hannah would make the journey to Shiloh, and she would find the tabernacle, and there she would make, she would declare, she would make her desire known to God. Hannah, we might say, made an altar before the tabernacle or God's presence. And it is there that she poured out her heart again and again and again to the Lord. She has little to no regard for what others might think. Hannah begged God for a son. There's no formula here, no strategy. Her sacrifice to the Lord in this moment is her broken heart. And do you know what? God heard her. Through her persistent faith, God gifted a nation with a prophet who not only heard God's voice, but spoke God's word to God's people. Listen to this. The answer to a woman who prayed without words was a prophet who spoke to the nation and who speaks to us today. On the screen, you'll see a quote by John Bunyan where he says it is better in prayer, it is better to have a heart, a heart for God, without words than words without a heart. And I think you'll agree with me as we leave here tonight that the Syrophoenician had a heart. She had words as well, but she had a heart for God. So we have the Syrophoenician's faith, verses 24 through 30, And our first point is her opportunity, her opportunity, verse 24. Read along with me, if you will, where it says, 
And from there, that is, the, there is the Galilee, the region of the Galilee. He, Jesus, arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did, did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. That is, his presence could not be kept a secret. Everyone in this town, probably likely the, the city of Tyre, the word spread that Jesus was present in town. A couple of thoughts about Tyre and Sidon. The region is Gentile. Obviously, Jesus is leaving Israel. He's departing from the Galilee, and he's moving north some 35 miles. We can tell from the text that it is his intent to get some rest. The territory was synonymous with idolatry meaning that a Jew would be concerned of becoming defiled, coming in contact with something that would render him unclean. Let's just say for our time together tonight, everyone on Team Jesus is a little jumpy. They're a little, they're careful where they eat. They're careful with whom they speak to. Again, the idea is that they would go into a home, and they, there they would, they would be together. They would get rest although it's apparent that that was not going to happen. Let me tell you something about becoming unclean, because we've talked about this before in our study of the book, The Gospel of of Mark. Becoming unclean was not sin. It was not a sin. And the reason I bring that up is because the religious leaders who oppose Jesus are all about not becoming unclean. Remember the issue of washing the hands. Think of something as simple as coming in contact with, with a body fluid like blood. You know, you start bleeding, you touch it, you're rendered unclean. You haven't done anything wrong. Maybe you were injured, or maybe you were caring for somebody who was injured, and in the process, you're deemed unclean. Again, not sin. Or maybe a loved one. Maybe a loved one passes away, and you go into the home to remove the body and to prepare it for burial. You are rendered unclean unclean, or even a woman giving birth, something as wonderful, the gift of, of, of new life, would render her for a period of time as to being unclean. Life circumstances could render someone unclean. Let me take it one step further. That sometimes within the church today, we may not communicate in this way, but we we, associate, we think that being associated with some people would render us unclean. And yet we see Jesus going to Gentile territory. We see Jesus making, making himself, as we will through the course of the story, available to this woman. Tyre and Sidon were situated on the Mediterranean coast. The cities were, would, would have been near the modern-day city of Beirut in Lebanon. This is where Jesus chooses to take a break. He's, going, he's moving away from the antagonism of the religious leaders. People from this area had likely traveled to see Jesus when they heard of him. They likely traveled to the Galilee. Again, it's not that far away. To hear him preach and to hear him teach. Some of them were delivered from the power of evil. Some of them were healed. Some of them heard the gospel and believed. So that when he comes to this area, the people can't believe it. They want to be near him. They want to be close to him. And so then we're told that he could not be hidden. Our setting reminds us that Mark 
writes to, from Rome to Gentiles. That is, his, his gospel was initially written by virtue of the fact that he had been with Paul and he had been with Peter and he remembered their stories and he puts them into written form for specifically for Gentiles, although anyone who reads them will benefit. And that in time, the idea here at his writing, at the time uh, that he writes, is the gospel has gone to the nations. Jesus initially preaches to the Jews. He's turned over by his enemies, betrayed. He's tried. He's crucified. He raises from the dead. The Spirit comes and empowers the church. And then, through a period of persecution, listen, the gospel spreads to the nations. That hasn't occurred yet in Mark's gospel, but that's the thinking behind our story. But that was, this was the plan from the beginning. Danny, what do you mean by that? Let me read to you from Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. You as a congregation, those of you who are online joining us, you're familiar with this verse. Genesis 12, 3. Where God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. Now listen to this. And in you... Abraham, speaking to Abraham initially, but speaking to his seed, to his descendants, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Please see our story in this light, that the gospel will spread to the world. The gospel tonight, as we sit here, is spreading to the world. We turn to the last book of the Bible in order to see the result, Revelation 5 verses 9 and 10. This is a heavenly scene. This is, this is a powerful scene. And it says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. This is obviously being uh, praise being and adoration being given to Jesus, the Lamb. For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people. Listen to this. You ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom, of pre- and kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And so Mark introduces his readers to this concept and to this idea. And as we sit here tonight, the reason that we have the gospel is to share it with others, ultimately to share it to the nations. You know, something I think about from time to time is as I'm growing older and I look at the world around me, especially the United States, I recognize that the nations are now coming to us. The peoples of the world are coming to us. Many are looking for an education, for a better life. That's wonderful. That's great. But we not only go to the nations, but now the nations are coming to America. On the screen, you'll you'll see a quote by John Piper. It says, God ransomed by the blood of the Lamb individual people from every tribe and language and people and nation. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And my friends, you and I are included in that quote. We are the people who have been redeemed. And a part of the purpose in this world is that we would communicate the gospel to those who are yet to be redeemed. One more thing on this before we move on to our next point. 
some 900 years earlier, that is before the story that we're looking at tonight, Elijah the prophet came to this very same area. As a matter of fact, he was fleeing a wicked king named Ahab. Not the one-legged ship captain of Moby Dick fame. This Ahab had a wife, and her name was Jezebel. They were a power couple for sure. In the story, Elijah helps a widow. Jesus comes and helps this woman and, and, her, and, and her daughter. In Elijah's story, he helps a widow and her son who were on the verge of starving during a time of famine. And a miracle took place. As, as the prophet encounters her, she's out, you know, gathering some sticks to build a fire. And he asked her, would you, would you please bring me a cup of water? He had obviously traveled some distance. She, she, she does so and, and, and communicates to him that she's gathering sticks to build a fire because in the jar that her and her son had flour, that this would be the last meal that they would have. And then something interesting happens. Elijah tells her, this is not going to happen. So she goes back to the, to the, to the jar of flour, and, he, and, and she makes this last meal. And then she opens it again, and there's flour in there. And she makes another meal. And again and again and again, miraculously, bread was provided by God to a woman, a Gentile woman, in this same area. God would also use the prophet to raise her son from the dead. Back to our story. Now, Jesus is in town. As happened so many times before, news spreads. Finally coming to a woman who finds herself in a crisis. This woman has faith that Jesus can rescue her daughter. This woman hears about Jesus, hears that he is near, and she has faith that Jesus can rescue her daughter. And some of you, as you're sitting here tonight, have a crisis going on in your life. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's related to health. A number of the pastors and I went up to Valley Center today to pray for a woman who has cancer. And one of the pastors anointed her with oil, and the, the, the others began to pray for her. Maybe there's a relationship that it's not the way that it should be, and you hear that Jesus is near, and you have faith that he can help you in that relationship. We're in employment, lack of employment, or maybe you have a health issue. Or maybe you're just sitting here tonight, and you hear about all the things that are going on in the world, and you lack peace. This past weekend, Pastor Daniel spoke about Jesus being the Prince of Peace. And you hear tonight that Jesus is near, and you have faith that he can bring peace into your situation, that he can speak to the wind and the waves, peace be still. Verses 25 and 26, we see her hope. But immediately a woman whose little daughter, that would mean that she's young, 
had an unclean spirit, heard of him, heard of Jesus, and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by faith, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Mark captures the woman's faith as seen through her humility. In verse 25, we see that she fell down before him. Again, the setting is likely public. He may be in the market. He may be walking down the street. She sees him. She runs to him. She doesn't care anything about what another person might think. Remember, I opened by Guinea. I opened by saying that her situation was desperate. And she finds herself at Jesus' feet. I don't know if you know this, but one of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Ruth. And as I was studying through this, I remembered Ruth's faith. For we've seen this faith before. Ruth, too, Ruth was a widow. We find her in the first chapter leaving family and friends behind in Moab. She's leaving to start over again, to start life over again in Bethlehem with her mother-in-law. But they pause in the middle of the road as they're heading west, again away from the plateaus, uh, the highlands of Moab, down into the Jordan Valley and up the other side towards Bethlehem. And Naomi again and again attempts to release Ruth from her obligation. But her attempts are futile. For you see, Ruth's faith is seen in her humble commitment to her mother-in-law. From Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And she doesn't speak much in the book. But these words are so profound. Probably with tears running down her face and Naomi's face, she says, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge or where you live, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there, I will, there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more it also, if anything but death parts me from you. Loyal commitment to Naomi. Back to Mark who tells us that the woman of our story was Syrophoenician by birth. This means that her ethnicity was Syrian and that the place of her birth was Phoenicia. Again, these represent obstacles that her faith overcame. Some might have thought that she would have been disqualified to ask Jesus for help, but she was not. Matthew identifies her a little differently. In Matthew 15, verse 22, it says, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region. He links her to Israel's ancient enemies. She's not only a pagan, she's the worst kind of pagan. Another thing about the woman from Matthew 15, and verse, verse 22, says that she was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. It's important for us to see that her faith allows her to see Jesus through the lens of a messianic title. 
She understands that God is merciful and that he is loving and that God is now in her presence. So she asks him for help. And then something very interesting, again, from Matthew 15 and verse 23, where we see that Jesus' apparent lack of response. As we said before, it says, But he did not answer her, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. Some might think, Danny, what is this? Jesus doesn't respond. He doesn't acknowledge her. Well, that's what we would expect from other people, but that's not what we would expect from Jesus, which we don't. But he does... God does allow difficult circumstances to grow our faith. And it seems as though, as we cry out to him, as we pray to him, that there is silence. But you are never met with a God who is apathetic or not listening to you. We'd be mistaken if we, like the disciples, saw her as a nuisance, not seeing her faith in her perseverance. C.S. Lewis said in his classic book, Mere Christianity, We don't come to him, God. We don't come to him as bad people trying to be good people. We come to him as rebels to lay down our arms. In verse 26, Mark's gospel, not Matthew's, back to Mark chapter 7, she begged or implored him to cast the demon out of her daughter. She begs Jesus to rid her daughter of of evil's power, And the idea here is for him to do so with a word. For him to do so without any incantation, without any formula, but with a word. That is, the means of deliverance is emphasized as much as the result of deliverance. She expects it to be instantaneous at Jesus' command. My friends, this is faith. Remember, maybe last week or a couple of weeks ago, we said that faith is in Jesus. Our faith in all circumstances, whether it's the forgiveness of sins or the request of his help, it is always in Jesus. In verses 27 and verse 28, we see her response. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. I want you, as you read this, to see metaphor. The children here are represented by the Jews. The bread is the gospel of the kingdom, the good news, the power of God and the salvation, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1. And the dogs represent the nations or the Gentiles. I want you to remember also that the feeding of the 5,000, remember that once everyone had eaten, once everybody had been satisfied, that Jesus instructs the disciples to go and to collect what was left over. That there, was, that there were bread and fish that, that were left over, that there was food that was left over, that obviously there was more than enough to feed the 5,000 as well as the additional people. There was enough to feed everybody who was hungry, but that there was some that would be left over. And he instructs them to collect it, and we're told that they filled 12 baskets. Now think about this for a moment. There was more than enough bread for everyone. 
And there's more than enough gospel. There's more than enough salvation for everyone who would believe. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe the gospel? That is the message of the kingdom of God, that God draws near to you, not in order to point out your sin, but to tell you that he will die for your sin and that he will give you his righteousness, a substitution to be sure. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you take your eyes off of your own condition and place them upon the one who told us in the Gospel of John that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me? Tonight it's important that you see Jesus lifted up. On a cross, absolutely, but even more than that. He's at the right hand of the Father, and as you look to him, as you trust in him, you will be forgiven of your sins. Jesus isn't saying that she can't have any bread. That is, that she can't have him or his ministry. He is saying, he is saying that it's coming soon. What can appear to be on the surface harsh words, a harsh reply, refers to chronology, to timing, to a plan. Paul refers to this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. You should see this on the screen, screen as well. There it is. Where Paul says, I'm not, afraid, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Listen to these words. To the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. God's plan. God's pattern. John Piper said, Salvation comes to the Gentiles from the root of God's covenant with the Jews. They're related. But in the moment, the woman who is at Jesus' feet making this request knows none of this. It's her faith in Christ that responds. Again, verse 28. I'm going to read, repeat this verse to you. Yes, she says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the crumbs or the children's crumbs. She sees the distinction between Jew and Gentile, but she also knows that her need is now. She realizes that the time is coming possibly when the Gentiles will receive the gospel, but her need is now. And her faith, like Hannah's faith, cries out now. And like Ruth's faith, cries out now. Now, in this moment, Lord, I need you now. I know that the gospel is coming to the Gentiles eventually, but I need you now. Her response enters Jesus' analogy. She follows his thinking, only she carries it out to its conclusion, where she thinks even the family pet receives the crumbs from the table. A couple of things as we conclude here. And I want you to see this. This woman understands that God is good. That's why she's here. This woman understands that Jesus makes himself available to the common people. This woman refuses to believe that God is unfair. My friends, this is what faith looks like. 
that in the face of any circumstance or any situation or any injustice, she refuses to believe that God is anything but good and that God will hear her request and that he will answer her. And she refuses. She refuses to take any other answer from God and from Jesus except that he will help her daughter. One more thing on this. In her words, I want you to hear Abraham and what seems to be bartering with God to spare some of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's literally walking with Jesus down the road towards the cities of the plain, and he's saying, if there are this many righteous, will you spare the city? If there are this many righteous, will you spare the city? Because Abraham understood that God is righteous and fair. Abraham does not ask God to overlook wickedness. Abraham intercedes for the righteous living among the wicked. His angle, again, is knowing that God is good. We see her reward in the last two verses, verses 29 and 30. And Jesus, he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in, a, in bed, and the demon was gone. Literally, in verse 29, Jesus says, For this word, this word that is infused with faith or trust in Christ, for this word you may go your way. You see, her faith engaged Jesus as Messiah with a deep understanding of his character and insight into his nature. Faith flowed through conversation based on knowing God's generosity. That God isn't a closed-hand God. He's an open-hand God. He's not a closed-hearted God. He's an open-hearted God. And her faith saw God through this lens. Unlike Eve, who questioned the God's wisdom and goodness, this woman believed in the very goodness of God. One more verse, and then we'll wrap up. I want to read to you again from Matthew 15. We spent a little bit of time there, haven't we? This time, verse 28. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done to you, done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. You know, the term woman is a term of affection. We see Jesus at the, at, at the wedding at Cana, and Mary comes to him, you know, kind of that strong mom. He says, you know, they've, they've run out of wine. He calls her woman. The woman that was ca caught in the act of, a, uh, uh, of adultery, Jesus, Jesus speaks and her accusers scatter, and here she is expecting to be condemned and expecting to be judged. And he speaks to her. He says, woman... Where are your accusers? And then we see Jesus on the cross in his last moments of life, and he speaks to Mary again. And he gives, he, gives, he gives the care of Mary over to John, and he says, Woman, your son, and then John, your mother. And he says to this woman who came to him in faith, and he'll say this to you tonight, again, a term of affection and relationship, woman. 
Your faith is great. The faith of a nameless woman is highlighted against the unbelief of the religious leaders. She trusted in Jesus during her storm, knowing that he could save her daughter. She fought knowing he would rescue her. Just a couple of ideas, a couple of thoughts as, you, as we enter into worship again here in a moment. I want you to think about three words. The first word is goodness. Jesus can be trusted because he is good. Jesus, you can trust Jesus tonight because he is good. The second is wisdom. Jesus can be trusted because he is wise. He knows all things from beginning to end. You can trust Jesus because he knows your situation from beginning to end. And then lastly, power. Jesus is a God who speaks to evil and it obeys. Jesus is the God who speaks to personified evil and it must obey. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.